Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. I am loaded for bear tonight. Wah! First of all, my Leafs are in a dog fight with the New Jersey Devils. I work in radio, you can tell. New Jersey Devils. The last I checked, it was tied at two. Uh, just doing a quick update. The Devils are up by one now, three to two. <sighs> anyway, having been said that, you know that sooner or later, you're going to have to taste defeat once in a while. It makes victory more sweet. So, all right. All kinds of stuff on the uh, on the palette tonight on the plate. I've actually I'm going to try to get back to posting a um, a uh, topics list. Now, how closely I stick to that depends on how the show goes. But before I go any further, for those of you who would like to participate via the telephone, remember those things. Some of them are still bolted to the wall, from what I hear, but usually they look a lot like this. Okay, that's what they look like. That's uh, Galaxy S7. And it's the one I have all the latest scores on. So I'm keeping an eye on the Senators won uh, yesterday in a shootout with the Canucks. The Maple Leafs are, le are losing. The Penguins are losing 2 to nothing to the Capitals. Ah, who cares? You guys can look up the sports yourself. All right. Anyway, um, there's all kinds of things that are in, in the on the um, topic tonight. And I, I'm, I'm going to start uh, about halfway down because today on, the, on, the, um, on terrestrial radio, I was listening to my colleague Rob Snow. Now, Rob and I, uh, you know, I consider him a friend of mine. Uh, we worked together for a long time, and uh, I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for the man. I think he's a very hardworking, well-researched. He doesn't see the world the same, exactly the same way I do, but then if we did, you know, can you imagine everybody agreeing with me how dull that would be? The world would be perfect, but I like to think that's what heaven's all about, agreeing with me. Actually, my wife went out and bought a T-shirt for my second oldest son, Jordan. And Jordan is, man, he's like his old man. He loves to argue. And for one, for a summer or so, he went out and he was selling the uh, driveway ceiling. You know where they pull those carts and they tar your driveway for you? Uh, well, that's what he was doing for a, for a summer job. And so you're pulling this cart with about 600 pounds of liquid tar and going door to door selling this stuff. Um, and that's how you made, you made a commission on for, for every uh, driveway that you sealed. And he was always, if not the top, one of their top salesmen. And I asked him one time, I said, of all the kids I have, 
you're the last person I ever would have picked to do door-to-door sales and enjoy it. He loved it. I said, what is it about that? Why do you do that, and what, what do you get out of it? I mean, it's hard work. It's hot work. It's not easy by any stretch. And he looked at me, and he says, because I love to argue, and I hate to lose. <laughs> okay, so my wife the other day went out and bought it because he's, he's, uh, he's out of college now. He's working, uh, he's working in the private sector now. And uh, the T-shirt reads, I'm not arguing. I'm just explaining why I'm right. <laughs> and, oh, does that ever fit him? And so if the whole world agree with me, I would like to think that's heaven. Uh, just agreeing with me. Because what else, you know, we could solve between you and I, we could solve all the world's problems in about 10 minutes. And nine of that would just be ordering the beer. Anyway, um, so Rob got into this monologue about the idea that there's a vast vacuum right now on the political stage where the little guy, and I'm not going to assign, I mentioned this in the, in the preview to the show, but the little guy, they try to break us up because I count myself as one of these little guys. And I think a lot of people would. They don't, they don't see themselves as, you know, part of the upper crust, the elite. Uh, not very many of them, not very many of us do anyway. Most of us think that we're just average people out there trying to make a living, pay our bills, send our kids through school, you know, and, and get through life the best way we know how. Most of us work work hard, play fair, and play by the rules. That's just the, the problem is they keep changing the rules, making the rules more restrictive, and they make life more difficult every single day. So there's this, this cry in the political world that says, I just want someone to represent my interests. I want someone who stands up for me. Not for some agenda coming out of Geneva or New York, not out of Brussels. Um, you know, we don't want to hear any of that stuff. We just want to know that you're going to keep our taxes as low as practical. You, you, you can never get away from paying taxes, but we certainly pay way more taxes than we should. So I would like to see some debt relief. I would like to see you butt out of my life for the most part. And yet you never see any of that. Of all the major parties, no matter what level you're talking about, provincial or federal, there's not a single leader out there who's espousing these kinds of things. Nobody's saying, "Oh my lord, uh, we need to we need to have a we need to really look at these kind of things uh, and, and get back to the things that actually matter in life." So, <sighs> anyway, the the point that I'm trying to make is what Rob was trying to say is. He was identifying with, I, I don't know if he actually understood what he was saying in the way that I see it. And that is that this is the kind of attitude that got Donald Trump elected. Now, you might not like Donald Trump. You may hate his guts. That's not why I mention it. I mention it because the truth of the matter is the frustration, the, the, the uh, anger towards that swamp. Okay, and it's just much a swamp up on Parliament Hill as it is down in Washington. Okay, the swamp is a generic term for them for all those crocodiles and all those slithery things that crawl in the, in the dark of the night and slither into your boot when you're not looking. Okay, and take another chunk out of you. That's the swamp, and people are fed up with it. They want it to, and I'm using Trump's language here. They want it drained. And they just don't want to have government interfere anymore with their lives. So if somehow, somewhere, somebody stood up and said, look, enough. 
Here's what I stand for. Take a page out of Ronald Reagan. Here's what I stand for. Here's where I'm going. Come and follow me. People would in their millions if they honestly believe he was sincere. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> That's what cut Trump elected. It wasn't that he was the greatest diplomat. It wasn't that he had the highest IQ. It wasn't that he had the greatest persona. He's not a rock star except in his own mind. We all know these things. These, these things are not new. But it was that hunger, that, oh my God, if I see one more stuffed shirt wearing a tie telling me how much smarter he is than I am, I'm going to get sick. When you listen to the Bob Chiarellis of the world, when you listen to the Yasser Nakfis of the world, even when you listen to the Andrew Shears and Patrick Browns of the world, they make they have a way of making you feel like about, you know, that big. That you're an idiot because you don't see it the way they do. So there's this vast vacuum. And people need leadership. Everybody in some capacity is a leader of, uh, in some way, for the most part. But we're talking about real leadership on a level like... Uh, a Diefenbaker. Um, I won't go... Well, yeah, if there was a Churchill out there, he'd never get elected these days. You know, can you imagine drinking brandy and smoking a cigar? Uh, not going to happen. Some of our best politicians have been have had some of the biggest vices. Okay, look at uh, Sir John A. Macdonald. The guy was a drunk. There's a, a an old joke about him where he was drunk during a debate. And he got physically sick on the podium during the debate. And... He realized what he'd done. So he said, you know, it's obvious, it should be obvious now, that my, the policies of my opponents are so disgusting, they make me physically sick. He made a joke out of it. Now, you'd never get away with that now. But the point is, somebody to stand up and say, I am actually one of the little guys. I, I know what it's like to work hard. I know I've got calluses on my hands, dirt under my fingernails. I've just had enough, and I think I know what needs to be fixed. You'd find support for that just coming out of the woodwork. But the elites think they're so much smarter than we are, and they are in massive disconnect. So I just thought I'd bring that. that in, a, in essence, that's what he said. And since I don't have it here to play for you, I'd rather let him speak for himself, but I don't have that clip available to me at the moment. So that's, in a nutshell, what he said. And I thought it was probably one of his best monologues I've ever heard. And, you know, Rob is a very eloquent man um, and, and knows he doesn't always see the world the way we do. But certainly he nailed it that time. And I, I sent him a little note. I said, man, that was the, one of the best I've ever heard. OK, so other things. Um, OK, this is the kind of thing that drives me out of my mind. No, not yet. Yeah, that one does, too. That one does, too. I've got all kinds of things. Where did it go? I've got it pulled up here. Here it is. Now, this is a, a story from the rebel, but I, I, I have, this is a, if this doesn't drive you crazy, I don't know what will. Okay, now, in our public school system, we have expunged every vestige of Christianity, every vestige of the Judeo-Christian ethic upon which that school system was built. We've, ex we've removed them from the public sphere because a publicly funded uh, school system where you have people of all kinds of faiths, not just two or three, are paying for this. Therefore, there can be no expression of religion within 
this public school setting. And for the most part, that's accepted dogma. Unless, of course, it's the Muslim faith. Now, for all, there's people on Facebook, when I posted this story, one of them said, you know, I really think that uh, there's room for respect and that what the, what the Muslim greeting is, peace be, peace be to you, and the, the other half of that, the return greeting is, and to you as well, which is very similar to what Catholics say during the Mass. We have a, you know, peace be with you and also with you, uh, and we actually have a sign of peace, but that's in church, not in a school. And my point is, if we're going to eliminate all vestiges of religion, having anything to do with the Judeo-Christian ethic, or any other religion, then why should the Muslim religion get an exception? Why should they be allowed to? Well, here's the story. Now, this is put out by, what's his name? Uh, David Menzies, who I really like. I've met him a couple of times. All right, let's see. Starting here. It's Islamic Heritage Month, and the publicly funded Toronto District School Board has a resource guidebook for kids, teachers, and school administrators. The guidebook even defines Islamophobia and notes that it encompasses hatred or dislike for Islamic politics or culture i wonder why that is criticizing islamic politics in the eyes of the T tdsb is is islamic phobic uh no it's called common sense would the tdsb really think it's islamic phobic to criticize women's or lg lgbt rights in iran or saudi arabia wouldn't those fall under the political culture did i miss a piece of this nope anyway the whole point is they wanted. They want now. Um, after the national anthem is is uh, played over the loudspeakers, they want to. Re they want the kids in the Toronto District School Board to recite the Muslim greeting. And I used to know what it is, Salam. And I, I, I'm not trying to be. I'm not, I'm not fudging it on purpose. I just can't quite remember what the phrase is. But my point is, what are they thinking? Here, here they are. Here's the relevant paragraph. There are many disturbing element elements about the TDSB's Islamic Heritage Month program, such as the recommendation that Muslim greetings, oh, here it is, of course, As-Salamu Alakayam be recited after the singing of Canada and having kids go on field trips to local mosques to familiar familiarize themselves with Islamic culture. <sighs> I hope they won't be bussed off to those GTA mosques where imams preach death to Jews and other non-believers. You know what? This is the kind of thing there is, in my mind, there is absolutely no place for this. Absolutely. That's a very good question, Marin. Why? If we're going to wipe every other vestige of religion out of our public school system. Like if, if you have a private school uh, or a secular school, I got nothing to say about it because that's privately funded. Right, it's the same thing. No different than homeschooling or or um, parochial schools. If you want to pay for it, what you teach your kids is up to you. Now, I want nothing to do with with Sharia law, and I certainly don't have no respect for anything within it. Okay, I I don't think women should be treated like cattle. I do not think that female genital mutilation is, is something that is to be recommended. Uh, you know, for uh, girls and women to go through. I think it's a hideous and barbaric. Uh, practice I just think it's absolutely ridiculous that we would put that on an even footing with a modern western society like Canada it's just it just doesn't fit so I have a problem with that and this you ask yourself what country are we actually living in are we in you know are we in Iran 
Are we in Indonesia? Are we in Saudi Arabia? Or are we in Canada? Because from that perspective, you realize every time that a little allowances like this are made, once they're in place, they're impossible to take back. It's the old story of incrementalism. I've used this analogy before, but I'll use it for those of you who aren't aware of it. I'll use it again. If you're sitting on a park bench and somebody comes along and says, uh, you know how people have a little bubble around them, right? There's a certain personal space. It reminds me of one of the only funny lines ever uttered on the show SpongeBob SquarePants. When uh, uh, Squidward is talking to, to SpongeBob, he said, SpongeBob, remember that talk we had about personal space? That's what I'm talking about. So if you sit down just a little too close, if, if you're sitting on the bench and I sit down just a little too close, I just, just kind of invade your bubble a little bit, you'll shift over. Either that or you'll tell me to get lost or you'll just walk. Most people will just, they don't want to cause any trouble, so they'll shift over a little bit. A few are going, okay, so I'm sitting on the bench now. A few minutes later, I shuffle over a little bit. I invade that space just a little bit. And you shuffle over to make room. Because you don't want, you know, I'm not really being rude. I'm not really being, in, you know, in your face. I'm just taking just a little bit too much of your space. So you rather than give me the, you know, shove me off the bench and say, get lost, creep. I was here first, which is what you should do. You know, they don't do that. Uh before long, if I keep that up long enough, you'll fall off the bench and I have the whole thing, which was my goal in the first place. And that's the danger here, is that we fall into that. So there's no room in my mind for this kind of thing in a publicly funded school anywhere in Canada, never mind in Toronto. So I'm just curious what you guys think of that. By the way, like a good talk show host... I should tell you what the numbers are, 343-700-4390, or you can use 844-562-4766, and that's good anywhere in North America. There's some question about the wobbly island of Guam. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, well, just go look up stupid politicians and wait for the, the uh, Southern Democrat to talk to the Admiral about how he's worried about the island of Guam, and you'll get what the reference is. All right, so I wanted to mention that. Uh, let's see. <sighs> okay. Folks, I got to tell you. I'm of two minds on this. Both of them think that it's uh, this is not a good thing. There, there's On one hand, this, this appears to be incredibly, absolutely ridiculous they would ever even think of this because of the rage it would cause. And that, of, of course, is how all of a sudden out of nowhere... I mean, there's been a war uh, with the liberal government on the federal side against small business. Uh, and actually on the provincial side, too. Uh, the provincial side actually goes back further than I think you might realize. For one thing, there was the institution of the College of Trades, which isn't a college like you think of. It's not like Algonquin College or, or you know any of these other colleges or universities. It's an institution that regulates how many apprentices a journeyman can have under his uh, tutelage. So if you're a if you're a general contractor, okay, and let's say you're you're an electrical contractor, and you're working on a job site, you can only have I think it's one maybe two apprentices per journeyman on a job. So if you've got five journeymen, you can have up to ten. If I understand the rules right, and there's room for interpretation here, but what that did was it really limited. It took away a lot of jobs from people just coming out of colleges in the trades 
because they didn't the, the unions were behind that and they didn't want to see non-unionized members on a workforce because if you're an apprentice uh, I'm I'm a little fuzzy on how that works but it was from behind the scenes they pushed this and it was to maintain membership in their union just to keep their union dues up because we all know that unions are in trouble their numbers are declining and their relevance is becoming less and less um, uh, th they are becoming less and less relevant in the in the workforce these days mostly because they've long since outlived their usefulness and there's no reason to pay 40 50 60 80 100 dollars a week or whatever their dues are depending on the organization that the union and what kind of uh, workers it represents you know that money is just basically gone uh, I've always wondered about unions. Uh, I remember when Buzz Hargrove uh, was head of the unions, uh, the CAW, and one of the one of the unions would go on strike at the car plants, and he would go to them and say, "Hang in there, boys. I'll see how much less I can get you, how much more I can get you, and how much less you have to do to get it." And these guys are out there on strike on strike pay at a hundred dollars a week, sometimes for months. And there's Buzz sitting at the council at the at the um, conference table drawing a full saddle salary is it one any wonder why these things didn't get concluded very quickly because he wasn't starving even though the guys on the line were and that's one of the reasons i could never support unions because their leadership didn't support them so um, i'm drifting i know but i just thought I'd, I'd throw that in there for people who don't understand part of my um i just don't like unions i don't think they serve the worker i i think that uh most times they cause more problems than they solve I'm painting with a wide brush. I know that, but for the most part, I think I'm pretty much on the mark. Um, so anyway, now this to get back to this attack on on business. Um, so the provincial government uh, not only put in place the College of Trades, but it brought out the um, ever increasing hydro rates, which hurts the big electrical consumers because there was no break for them. Who are they? Those are the heavy manufacturers, the medium-sized manufacturers. Uh, you know, the people where the really good jobs are and did everything they could. Then they're bringing out a carbon tax. They're bringing out an increase in the minimum wage. You know, this January goes to $14, and after the election, it'll be $15. And the amount of the, the kind of impact that that's going to have on small and medium businesses, I don't think we really understand yet, you know, how big that's going to be. So anyway, those that's the provincial side. Then you have the federal side. Uh, with Justin Trudeau, uh, the CRA made a made a, an announcement the other day that said they're now anytime an employee gets a perk or a uh, let's say you work in a retail s store and you're selling shoes, okay, at uh, Brown, I don't know, um, Hush Puppies or um, like there's a little shoe store in Killaloo called the Felsky Shoes. And let's say this, excuse me, let's say that the owner, Mr. Felsky. It's actually a real shoe store, and uh, it, they do sell very high-quality shoes. I, I really like when, I, when I'm going looking for shoes. It's one of the first places I go. Uh, I like to support local business, and it's a, you know, you get good quality stuff there. You pay a little more for it, but supporting the local economy, and you have shoes that are going to last you a lot longer than, you know, the $20 pair of sneakers you get down in some of the big box stores. So anyway, the point is he's got four or five different employees in there, and he's got two stores, one in Barry's Bay, one in Killaloo. So let's use him as an example. If he gives um, his employees, let's say, 20% off on, the, on their footwear, or he has jackets and there's, he's not just footwear. He has jack, uh, 
jackets of all kinds and different, you know, more more clothing, but specializing in footwear. And if they get 20% off, then the CRA is going to consider that taxable income for the person who got the benefit. Now, they've been backpedaling, trying to soften it by the the tor the, the the grits are saying, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to put a clarification out about what this all means. It's a reinterpretation. The law's not changing. And I think that Pierre Polliver got it right when he said, we have uh, no reason to believe them because, first of all, if they're not going to reinterpret this under the direction of the government, then why did they put this out? Why would why would you come out and say, well, we're gonna we're gonna, you know, this is our interpretation of this clause, unless you're going to go down that road. And when it comes to raising taxes, I don't trust the liberals as far as I can throw them, and I ain't all that strong. So it's just. He was quite right. There is nothing in the announcement by the CRA or by the Liberal government that anyone should take any comfort in that they're going to backpedal on this. They're throwing a lot of stuff out there saying, oh, don't worry, don't worry, trust us, trust us. Well, why should we? What have they ever done that would say that, you know, we need to um, we need to look at uh, this kind of thing and say, well, I don't know. Why should we trust you? Because <laughs> quite frankly, I don't. So that's a little bit about that. Now, remember something that this when you when you I think one of the things that a lot of commentators aren't doing is they're looking at the pieces of the puzzle, but they're not pulling back to see how they all fit together. Because remember something. Trudeau has already claimed to be a transnational prime minister. Nobody even knows what that means. At least when you hear it. You scratch your head and go, what the heck is he talking about? And here's what I think. I think he is so enamored with the United Nations that he realizes that Canadians will never accept legislation. Uh, just take a look at the European Union. That's, that is what we're headed for on a smaller scale. The UN wants to run the whole show. That's what the UN has been about for decades. It's not about world peace. It's not about UNICEF. It's not. Those are all fringe things. They they keep it's window dressing. But their real agenda is all about making sure that they are controlled. Why do you think they send envoys here to tell us how terrible we are when it comes to how we deal with our natives and indigenous populations? Are you kidding me? We're going to listen to them when they when right in their own back door. Most of the Islamic countries are nothing but hell holes, and they never say a word to them. But they come here, they have the audacity to tell us that we're being nasty to a certain segment of our population. It's none of their business. First of all, we're a First Nation country. So anyway, the whole point, what I'm saying is he's trying, I think, and I'm, okay, this sounds like a conspiracy, and I don't mean it to sound that way. I'm just looking at the different puzzle pieces and seeing what kind of picture it makes. And I got to tell you, I am not for um, anything that denigrates Canadian sovereignty. I think that Canada should always remain a sovereign nation. And setting patriotism aside, there is a reason for that. And that reason is this. First of all, you have in uh, a country like Canada, you have it's only the biggest organization that the individual can hold to account is the nation state 
let's assume for a moment that Trudeau gets what he wants and we all become one big happy kumbaya family, all gathered around the UN campfire, and we let Brussels and New York dictate to the world how we're going to conduct our affairs. Okay? So there's 36 million Canadians, roughly. We're voting against 8 or 9 billion. When, the vote com when a vote comes up and they hold an election, even for who represents us at the UN, or who gets a seat on the Security Council, or who, who chairs what, or whatever, or they bring out some new law, okay, saying that you have to bow down to the squirrels. What voice do we have? We're, we're 36 million out of 7 billion. They won't even hear us. And that's why I don't like this mandate. And Trudeau seems to be madly in love with it. He's pushing to be on the Security Council on a two-year tenure. Like, why he wants on the Security Council, I have no idea. Because unless you have a veto, it's a pointless, it's a pointless position in the first place. Because you could put forward the greatest plan the world has ever seen to solve a crisis. Let's take North Korea. If Canada were to come up with the greatest, the, the best plan that mankind can conceive to stop the rise in tension between North Korea and everybody else. It's not just the U.S. There's a lot of other countries at risk here. And say, okay, we implement this plan, it's over. China's got the veto. Russia's got the veto. The United States has the veto. All the big players out of World War II have the veto. Guess what? Any one of them, any one. China could say, nope, we're not signing off, boom, and it doesn't matter how great the plan is, it's dead. And it happens all the time. So why would we want to go down that road? So this is what I think Trudeau is trying to condition us for. Now, it could be that this whole attacks uh, on, on perks is nothing but smoke and mirrors. Designed to look over here, look over here, look over here, pay attention to this hand, because, oh, it's doing terrible things. We're horrible people over here, over here, while over there where nobody's looking, you have things going down the pike like M103. When's the last time you heard anything about M103? When's the last time you heard anything about what's going on at the UN? How many papers in, the, in Canada, any news agencies, actually regularly report on what the UN is up to today? None. I read the papers as much as anybody else, and I cannot remember the last time except when they come here to chastise us for our behavior. So I think that's part of part at least part at least of what's propelling this. When you look at all the pieces and you fit them together, the attack on free speech, the attack on our on our income, the attack on our freedoms and not just free speech but land rights and so on, uh, the, the de denigration of our foundational um, uh, ethos, the Judeo-Christian ethic, you know, got to destroy that. The idea that all cultures are equal, you know, when they're clearly not. So these kind of things are what I think undermines and pins these whole things. Okay, I got to take a quick break and play a couple of commercials because they didn't do it earlier when I should have, and that's terrible. We don't like that. We got to keep the sponsors happy. So you listen to this, and we'll be right back with more on the Nick and Night Show. 
EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete forms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches. But fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. Surprise. <laughs> We've got a set of music clips up here we can use as, as uh, bumper music, come back in from a break and that kind of thing. So I just looked up and I hit one. I had no idea what I was hitting, and that came out. <laughs> if you like it, great, but it wasn't quite what I had in mind. <laughs> okay, let's bring that to a stop. There we go. All right. Yeah, somebody was just asking if you can share the show publicly. Yeah, absolutely. I just checked my public my uh, security settings, and it's open to anyone. So if you want to share the share the show with um, with uh, others, then by all means do that. The more the merrier, because I think it's worthwhile. That's why I sit here every Wednesday night. Uh, let me let me just ask you a question, and I've been kicking this idea around. I'm not going to say I'm going to do it, but would you guys be open to maybe um, instead of doing a two hour show once a week? A one-hour show three times a week. Say Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. No, Monday night, Tuesday, Wednesday. Or even just two nights. How would that fly? Maybe only an hour long. But certainly, you know, up the frequency. Because I tell you, it it tears me apart waiting. uh, Because there's so much to talk about. Um, Anyway. (sighs) Do I want to go into politics? Uh, I'm not sure I'm ready for that kind of anal exam. I don't know that I've uh, that I hate myself that much. Um, you, to, you know what? To be completely honest, the thought has crossed my mind in the past, and I'm not going to say. Who knows? Let me let me put it. Uh, um, let me put it this way: If the circumstances presented themselves in a fashion that I thought I actually stood a chance of winning a particular race. Because I don't like getting in a race I know I'm not going to win. I don't like losing. And I don't believe in sacrificial lambs. As an example, in my writing, um, there is uh, John Yakabuski on the provincial side. Now, John is a machine when it comes to raising money, and he has a tremendous, tremendously uh, easily – his dad was the former MPP. 
and everybody in in Renford County loved his dad and John has a tremendous support base so whoever goes up against him has a huge mountain to climb and mine I just don't see me as being the guy to do that so that's not a place I would be interested in running I don't know in other words it would depend on the circumstances it would depend on the on um, uh, you know a whole bunch of things like what kind of support who would I run you know where would I run who am I up against these kind of things because like I said I'm not going to enter a race. I don't think I stand at least a decent chance of winning. I don't mind if I lose. I can live with that. But I don't want to enter a race I was never in in the first place. You know, I don't want to be cannon fodder. So with that, that answers that question, I hope. All right. Now, let's uh, move along here. Okay. Now, I posed this question earlier on my... my um, uh, on my preview... Now, if you're not aware, right now in Ottawa, there is a murder trial going on for Basil Borutsky. And this one hit us pretty close to home. The reason why is because these murders all took place in 2015 within uh, 20 miles of my front door. One of them in Wilno, one of them out in Cormac, and I forget where the third, maybe two in Wilno, one in Cormac. And you can almost throw a stone from my place and hit these things. Uh, we actually knew one of the, the murder victims. I, I can't say I knew I know Basil. Uh, Barutsky's a huge name out there. And I kind of grieve for the Barutsky family because, let, let's face it, you know, I'm not willing to paint a whole family based on, on the actions of one individual. But think of the burden that is, the stigma that is, to have a triple murderer in the family. It's not something you sit around the kitchen table at Christmas time and talk about. And you certainly don't talk about it in polite company out in public. So, you know, they have a heavy, a heavy burden to bear because of the actions of one of their members. But with that said, he's on trial here in Ottawa right now. Uh, the court, he's trying to defend himself as his own lawyer. And the court, because he knows nothing about the procedure of the courts, uh, they appointed what's called a friend of the court to make sure that uh, procedure is followed so that it, they can't call a mistrial later on and they're doing everything they can to make sure that he gets uh, you can argue whether he deserves it or not but everybody deserves the best defense that we can provide them um, so he's being his own lawyer and, and they're they're taking that in stride and trying to move forward with the trial the question is since he seems to have been found mentally competent to be held accountable for his actions. And what I mean by that is when you have a trial like this or when you have a situation like this, they go for psychological, the, the perp in this case, the um, accused, goes for what's called a uh, psychological uh, testing to make sure they're sound in their mind, at least sound enough so they understand the consequences of their actions and can't, you know, the, it, if you're found mentally unfit then you're not held criminally responsible for your um, for your actions like if you have somebody escape a loony bin and it's completely out of his mind and he kills people that's different than if somebody is completely sound mind goes out and just picks up a rifle and blazes away um, two totally different scenarios one is done with no sense of reality and the other one is done out of cold-blooded murder so Given the fact that he seems to have passed that acid test, otherwise he'd never be defending himself, there would be no trial in the first place. Okay, He would have been de declared mentally competent. And all of that to say that 
if we had capital punishment in Canada and Basil Borowski were to be found guilty. I'm not predicting the outcome, although it doesn't take much of a gene, uh, doesn't take much of a crystal ball gazer to have a good idea how this is going to go. But, you know, it's still before the courts. He's still an innocent man until he's proven by a court of law to be guilty. Uh, so all that being true, if at the end of the day he is found guilty and Canada had the death penalty and you're a juror, would you impose the death penalty on him? Now, I would. Because of a lot of things I just said, first of all, he's found he's been found, at least in my mind, uh, he wouldn't be in court in any capacity if he wasn't. He'd be in a psych ward somewhere. Um, but he's sitting in front of a judge defending himself, so there's got to be a, some kind of mental capacity there to understand the consequences of what he's done. Now, that's part of it. The other part is there is something about defending, not only punishing the uh, the perpetrator or punishing the perpetrator of a crime. At the same time, there's also the uh, defense of the public against him ever doing that again. Now, I'm not going to get into the cost. You know what? That's To me, that's a moot point because we spend all kinds of money you could shake your head at, and that's not. it's not the money. I'm not talking about the cost. You know, it's $40,000, $50,000 a year to keep somebody incarcerated. I don't care. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the actual obligation a society has to defend itself against people like uh, you know, people who do these kinds of things. So I want to know what you think. If you were in that jury box and Canada had the penal the death penalty and Basil Borutsky was found guilty when you when the question came up, okay, you, you find him, let's say for the sake of this discussion, he's found guilty, the jury agrees he's guilty, then comes sentencing. Would you would you vote for de the death penalty? If I was in that jury room, I would. And maybe they wouldn't take me as a juror because I was too close to the, you know, it's not like we were best friends with the victims or anything like that. But emotionally, I don't know. I don't know if I could s sit there with, a, with an unbiased mind and listen to just the facts and try to keep out the emotional side of it. Okay, because the acts themselves were barbaric. The acts were, well, they were murder. And how do you, especially in something that was so close to home, how do you sit there and say, I cannot in good conscience or, you know, in good conscience, I think I can be objective enough to be, uh, you know, uh, to be uh, um, a judge in this case, deciding someone's guilt or innocence in a case that can carry the death penalty. I don't know that I could do that. But I, so I'm asking you who were a little further away from the crime you know, maybe you could do it. Um, it's interesting. And, uh, Anne writes, I don't agree. I think he snapped and definitely has mental issues and has been crying out for a long time before it happened. I think the police should have been watching him a long time ago. You know what, Anne? You might be right. But two things. The police can't watch everybody. Okay? Especially out in the countryside. There's a lot more of us than there are the police. There's a Kilo, there's the Killaloo OPP station. Uh, you've got one in, in um, Pembroke, one in Renfrew, and I think there's another detachment up in Whitney. Those are the four that I know of in Renfrew County. Now, 
Each one might have 10 or 15 officers. Most are off duty all the time, you know, at any one given time. You just don't have the resources, in other words, to keep track of everybody. And Basil Borutsky did have trouble with the law before. There's no doubt about that. But let me deal with the other side, the other issue he raised, that he snapped and has definitely has mental issues. He did pass, had to have passed, a mental competency test by psychologists who do this as a regular course of events. They do this for the courts. This isn't just a doctor who gets pulled off the street and said, by the way, we want to check out this, check this guy's head, see if there's any gears that has been stripped. Okay? No, these, pe these people, this is what they do. And if they think he is competent to stand trial, then I'm going to argue with you gently. I don't think he snapped. I think there's just evil people in the world. And Basil Borowski seems to be one of them. Now, we'll let the courts have their final say. I'm not trying to judge, judge or convict the man beforehand. Um, Jacinta says, nope. If he were to be put to death, his soul would be in danger. I would not want to feel responsible for him going to hell. Plus, his family has already gone through enough pain. I feel this scenario would cause them more. Well, interesting point. Although, at the same time, you're not responsible. If you, you know, going down the... the know where does he go after death uh, that's not your responsibility Jacinta uh, the point is um, there is even from a Christian perspective there is a case uh, for capital punishment it is not unlawful it is not against the Christian uh, mindset uh, I, I think even the Catholic Church has a pronouncement on it Pope John Paul II if I remember correctly said that capital punishment has its place but his attitude was modern prisons are so secure that the chance of escaping, the defense of the public, in other words, uh, makes it, you don't, you don't need to apply it. So, but that's his opinion. That's not a doctrine of the church. Anyway, um, Anne writes back. She says, no, they can't. But they knew him a long time in jail and was just out of jail before he murdered, before he murdered them. Well, you know, and like I said, you, you could be right, um, but that's it's a little too late to worry about that now all we have now are three dead women and uh, uh, a heinous crime here in the valley and i'm just curious uh, so I, i'm guessing and what you're really telling me is no you would not pass the death penalty you would not pass the death penalty in this case so it's, it's i guess it's a just a, a kind of a long way around um um getting to the death penalty question like what about paul bernardo you know, what about um, Pick, uh, Pickford, the guy, the pig farmer out west? Okay. Uh, should they have been executed? What about Carla Homolka? There, there are people within our society uh, that you could very easily make the case for. So I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd put it in a, in a context where um, uh, we have a, a case right here in our own backyard to talk about. Marin says, one problem I have with the death penalty is that the murderous children become victims their, if their when their parents are killed. Saw a documentary once, and it was terribly sad. Yeah, look, the taking of a human life by the state is always something that is comes at terrible cost. There is no doubt about it. I'm, I'm not trying to be, be um, uh, flippant about this. Uh, you know, I have a deep respect for human life. Uh, I would just as I would kill every animal I could get my hands on if it meant saving one human life. You know, I'm not the kind, I, I'm not a, um, uh, 
I'm not that cold and callous. I understand that these people have families. That's kind of why I said earlier about the idea that I really grieve for the Burdsky family because of the kind of damage this does. You know, yeah, there, there's uh, in, in some of the southern states, it's very, very strong. It's not so much strong up here, but your family name. Uh, Aaron Tippin wrote a song yeah, once. Um, the, the name of the song was You've Got to Stand for Something or You'll Fall for Anything. And in that song, there's a line about how you're, you you got to uphold your family name because it represents everything, everything about who you are and where you come from and what you stand for. And that's true. It's, whether we understand that or not, um, I just don't see how we could get around it because, boy, I'll tell you, it's not a pretty picture. It's something that's you never want to have to contemplate. And fortunately... Uh, certainly for Basil, uh, that's not a reality anyway. But sometimes it's worth going over this again just to explore this and, and decide whether or not it's something an issue that we should consider maybe in the future. And if we did do it, under what circumstances and how? So I just thought I'd bounce it off you. It's time for me to take another break. I've got another little button here to click. There we go. Uh, the numbers you can reach me at if you want to weigh in on this are 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. We've got to play a couple of commercials, and we'll be right back after this. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money. And headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. same song clip twice <laughs> all right let's end that we've got a phone call let's take that phone call because i don't like to keep people waiting good evening Welcome hi how here. you doing i'm doing fine who am i talking to i'm mary from alexandria well hello mary nice of you to call oh yeah well thank you uh i would like to put my two cents about the capital punishment please do um i for years, I've thought that they should bring this back because it is a deterrent because that person that, that would eventually be executed mm -hmm. 
would not be able to hurt anybody else again. However, you have to be sure that that person is really the guilty person. Oh, there should never be any any doubts. Well, the standard for your you know, like, penalty would be beyond a shadow uh, like, of a doubt, not a reasonable doubt. Uh, I'm here. Can you hear me? I know, it's because there's, there's a weird bleep bleep oh, that comes oh, on. Yeah, that's Facebook, people making comments. Uh, it's just the way the oh, thing works. So don't worry when you hear that. Okay. Just so you understand, okay. <laughs> the standard for uh, capital punishment is not a reasonable doubt like it is in other trials. It's beyond a shadow of a doubt. Right. So once you've got so that then there's many people that, that shouldn't be here anymore. Like, look at the guy, Fabri you know, Fabricant. He killed the three people at Concordia University. He, it's for sure. He, he did it. Uh, there's another guy in Quebec who killed his three children. He stabbed them to death. Yep. Really disgusting. A doctor. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people that shouldn't be around anymore. Well, there's, and, uh, the there's the, the guy evil. Was... Look at the guy, the guy in Manitoba uh, who cut the guy's head off in the bus. Yeah, I think he was you know? clinically insane, though. Doesn't Don't matter. Deny. Doesn't matter. Like, you, you can't, you can, can't, you, if this guy, the, the guy in uh, Manitoba, if he forgets to take his pills one day, or he just says, oh, to hell with it, I won't take my pills, and get the drug, or whatever. Hey, what do you think is going to happen? He's going to start hearing voices again. Come on. You, you don't. You're going to protect regular people, you well, know? I will say this uh, and, uh, Yeah? I will say this much, that in cases like this where you have somebody who's criminally insane, you lock them away for the rest of their lives. Uh, and I, the reason I say that is because, look, if you're criminal, if you're insane, you can't be held responsible for the things that you do. But that doesn't mean we need to let you run around and do whatever you want to. I think that when you're look, when you're criminally they insane, they don't do that. Okay, but we don't. They do that leave them either. Yeah, so, they they say take your pills and go home. That's what they do. Hmm. They don't lock them up. You All know, right. but that's just it. Even if we, if if we would lock up, like if if life meant life. That would be great, but it doesn't. It's 25 years. That's, yeah, that's just what thing. life is in Canada. It would have to be life um, uh, life without... Yeah, time. life. Or, okay. Yeah. Okay, well, listen, and, Mary, yeah. Thank you. I want to thank you very much for your call. It's been great talking to you. I hope you'll call oh, again. Oh, can I, can I just put my two cents for another one? All right, real quick. Another one? Yep. Yeah, real quick. Uh, the, the, this idea of, of teaching children... Uh, about Muslim culture and all that stuff, that is the reverse of what it should be. It should be that uh, these new Canadians should be taught about Canadian culture and to conform and to assimilate to their new culture. Otherwise, they can just go right back to the place where they came because that's the way they want to live. Yeah. This is Canada. You live as, as as a Canadian. You don't live as a as, as someone living in the desert or wherever. You know. Well, natural multiculturalism uh, has of its own accord, but we don't need this. I won't argue with you there, Mary. I gotta let you go. No. Get the call. All right. Okay. Good night. All right. Now let me get back to this. Um, Basically, when Mary was saying about capital punishment, he says, look, she was saying that you have to protect the population and that uh, 
you know, people who are criminally insane should be executed as well. Uh, we had a little bit of a discussion over that. And because when it comes to criminal insanity, I think that you don't execute them, but you do lock them away for the rest of their lives. You, because if you, you can't be held accountable for the things that you do if you're insane. That's the definition of insanity is to be completely out of your head. So if you're not, you know, if your head's not screwed on straight, you can't be blamed for what happens. But that doesn't mean we get to let you that you get to run around, you know, and just do what you want. You they're they're because you're criminally insane. We are going to lock you away. We're not going to kill you, but we are going to lock you away so you can't hurt anybody, even yourself. So that was kind of that uh, conversation. All right, let me uh, kick up, pick up another topic here, um, because I know there's plenty more where that came from. Okay, um, let's see. Okay, this one right here. Now, this is a local issue, but I think it ex it it's has con uh, it has a um, it's a big enough story or big enough topic that it doesn't matter where you live. I'm not gonna you know keep it. I'm using a local story to demonstrate a, a greater point. In the city of Ottawa, there are Ill illegal uh, prevention uh, overdose prevention sites. Uh, there's one in a local park here over in a place called Sandy Hill. And the mayor was invited to go see it. And he said, no, I'm not going to see something I know is illegal. Anyway, let me read to you from the article a little bit, and I'll share this with you. Mary, mayor Jim Watson said he won't visit the pop-up overdose prevention site and wants it to close down. I'm not going to condone an illegal activity. I don't think it would make sense for me to go see something I know to be illegal. Uh, Watson dismissed the idea of visiting the volunteer-run overdose prevention site in Raphael Burnett Park Wednesday. He stopped short of saying that he would, also, he would ask police to close down the site, saying it was beyond his authority to direct police. But he did reiterate his call for the site to close down. Okay, let me stop there. The question I have for you, based on this article, is what's the difference between telling the police to take a particular action and ordering the police to enforce the law. Because I see a huge difference, in case you haven't figured that out by now. Um, I think that in this case, that's the very first thing that he should do, is pick up the phone, get on the phone to Chief Bordolo and say, this is illegal. Do your job. You're not telling him what laws to enforce. You're telling him to enforce the law. And that is illegal. And that is breaking the law. Therefore, the chief should have no option but to shut it down. This isn't whether or not you get a speeding ticket or a warning on the highway. This isn't whether or not you're getting a parking ticket and you're arguing in the meter maid. This is a violation of, of the criminal code. And therefore, the chief needs to stand up and do what he's supposed to do. It's against the law. So Jim Watson is playing fast and loose, trying to have it both ways. He says he wants it to close down, but do you think that this has been going on for months? So if you think that they're going to listen to Jim Watson wanting it closed down, then you're in for a rude awakening. That's not what Jim Watson's all about. <sighs> so I'm just, it, it just makes me crazy when I hear politicians, you know, come out really saying, oh, well, you know, I don't want to go down that road because that's, that's bad, but I do want to see it shut down. You've got the authority. Pick up the phone. Call somebody and tell them that you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. All you have to do is do your job. 
And it's, you know, I know that being a police chief has a lot of pressure that goes with it. But I must tell you, I am very disappointed with Chief Bordalo here in Ottawa. Chief Vern White, I have a lot of respect for. When he was chief of police here in Ottawa, I went for a drive around with him. Very, uh, he was a, you could tell he was a tough from the streets copy. <laughs> he'd, he'd obviously been in more than one fist fight in his life and was known to carry out foot patrol duties. He, he would pull people, people over for speeding. Uh, you know, when we got in the cruiser, I didn't put my seatbelt on right away. He said, put your seatbelt on or we're not going anywhere until after I'm done writing the ticket. And he said it in a way I had no doubt he meant it. So click, on went the seatbelt. It's just, you know, he doesn't, he didn't screw around. Chief Bordalo does stuff like walk around in red high heels. Chief Bordalo says we're going to go to the Pride Parade and we're going to march in uniform. Oh, wait a minute, no, we're not. He's not the same kind of chief at all. He's more of a politician than anything else, and it's really disappointing. It's unfortunate. Um, but not my circus, not my monkeys, I guess. I don't get to pick who the chief would be because it wouldn't be – it would be somebody else. Let me put it to you that way. So the question becomes, does the does uh, a politician in, the, in a position like a mayor, when they have a police force that they have at their disposal – and someone is clearly breaking the law. Are they trespassing down the, I want you to enforce this law but not that one path? Or are they simply to go to them and say, enforce the law? Is there anything wrong with that? I don't think so. I think that's exactly what Jim Watson to do, should do. I think that's what any mayor in that scenario should do, is to tell the police to do their jobs. And do their jobs no matter where the trail leads until the job is finished. And if that means you go into a six-month, one-year, 18-month investigation, fine, do it. That's what you get all those resources for. But to sit back and watch this stuff go by, I just don't, just doesn't understand. Okay, we'll take a little break at the top of the hour, which is about now. And then when we come back, we'll have more on the Nick at Night Show right after this. Nick at Night is a production of... Got to hit the right button before that'll work. There we go. So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one, but maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold and, and, and you'll be fine. 
Now, Nick at Night does not exist without advertisers. So if you want to buy time, you contact either myself, JC at LateNightCouncil.com. Or you can contact Nick if you're more comfortable with him. And, of course, I certainly understand that. You can contact Nick at LateNightCouncil.com. The ads are, like, really, really cheap. I mean, you're going you're gonna to love them. Okay? You're, you're, we've, we've made them quite accessible. Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now, back to Nick at Night. If you can't, if you can't bring Muhammad to the mountain, you bring mount, the mountain to Muhammad. My teapot right here, see, I, you know, it's right here beside me. Um, wasn't boiling fast enough. We can't have that, so I went and brought the teapot here because <laughs> I want my cup of tea. It's not quite there yet. <sighs> Why you needed to know that? I have no idea. I guess it's because the Leafs are losing five to two to New Jersey. Man, New Jersey's scary. Holy crap, they're good. I just caught a little bit of the game while I was on my way to get the tea. No, that didn't have anything to do with why it took me so long. Anyway, this is just about, oh, look at that. It's boiling. So now I get to, you guys get to watch me make a cup of tea. Isn't that fun? This is the part about this video stuff. I don't know. <laughs> you can't get away with nothing with you guys. I can't air, air, I can't play air guitar. I can't, well, I do, but I shouldn't. Uh, when I'm getting ready for this, when the show's first getting started, just not cool, I guess. All right, anyway, let me set that over there and let that steep for a moment, and we'll be all set. Okay, now let's get back to our topics list because I've got more. Oh, boy, have I got more. First, let's go here. Let's see. Okay, do you know who Roger Goodall is? Some of you will. A lot of you probably go, huh, who? I don't blame you. He's the commissioner of the NFL. And he has come out and said that all this kneeling during the anthem has got to stop. You know what? He's right. I, as I said during the preview, these guys get paid more in a year than you and I make in a lifetime. Millions of dollars a year. From the very society and culture, these idiots are protesting. They're protesting racism against black people. You know, this stuff, look, if you look at the statistics, if there's anybody who's being racist and attacking black people, it's other blacks. It's not the, the number of people. Uh, take Chicago. Great example. Why is it they don't tell you about the 30 or 40 shootings a weekend that go on, over, go on in Chicago and who the perps and the victims are? So what is this nonsense? What it is, is more political correctness. And the reason why uh, Mr. Goodall came out and said it's got to stop is because the NFL is beginning to feel it. They are used to decades of massive ratings. They make more money in Vegas on football in one weekend than most sports make all year long. It's ridiculous how much money changes hands in Vegas betting on football games. 
It's a huge industry. But people are getting tired of politics being brought onto the gridiron. And they are beginning to stay away. And the reason why they're staying away is because they don't like the fact these spoiled brats who don't have a clue about real life except on the gridiron because they're not living on, you know, they're living in ivory towers. They're not living in, in you know, uh, Smallville, Mississippi. Some of them have come from there, but they seem to have forgotten what it was like. You know, and I, I, it's got nothing to do. See, they think talent equals brains. I'm sorry, most professional athletes, and I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm Canadian or I'm biased towards hockey, but some of the most intelligent ones are hockey players. They're the best interviews, and granted, even that's not rocket science, but these guys are multimillionaires who are very specialized in their training. They know how to do one thing. If you take a wide receiver, uh, you know, he can't be a down lineman. There's a whole lot of reasons why. It doesn't take much to figure that out. You know, one of the most versatile uh, athletes on the field is the quarterback, but that's only two or three per team, one of them most of the time. So you've got these bunch of kids out there thinking they're make, they've been given this platform and people are saying, you know, they what they say should be respected because they're, um, you know, Benjamin uh, Versnitzelflotten from Connecticut somewhere, you know, and he's the best God's gift to running backs and that everybody should listen to his opinion just because he makes a couple of million dollars a year playing football. It's the same thing with Hollywood. You know, why should I respect a man whose greatest skill is memorization? When it comes to his political views. I just, it doesn't make any sense to me. So they, they, the NFL has realized that they've lost about 10, between 10 and 15% of their viewership. Now on an average day, uh, broadcast day for the NFL, they get about 15 million. 15 million. You realize that's almost half the population of Canada? 15 million viewers. No, 17 million. Sorry. They've lost about three to five million. They're down to around ten or twelve million. Now that doesn't—that's you know—it's about a ten or fifteen percent drop, is what I'm trying to say. And when you look at it as a percentage, it's not that big. But when you look at the numbers, the actual physical numbers, it's huge. It is huge. And if the NFL wants to stay relevant, they can—they cannot do that. They cannot alienate their base. Uh, and yes, I'm using my glasses to pull my teacup pull my teabag out of the uh, teabag. There we go. Out of the teacup. There we are. See, what you learn in life is how to be flexible. Oh, there we go. Okay, that's about as sturdy as that's going to get. See, anybody else would have brought a spoon and I'd be able to stir that without having to use the arm of my glasses. Oh, but that's a good cup of tea. All right, now, so I just, I, I think that's what's driving people crazy. Um, you just politics and sports don't blend like I have no problem with these guys going out and protesting okay if they want to go out and protest out in the, on their version of Parliament Hill say on the Washington lawn all right the Washington Monument lawn you know the big pond in the middle and the, and the, uh, the Washington Monument at the far end they want to go and protest knock themselves out they're citizens they're allowed to but on a football field, just because you don't like who the president of the of the country is, just because you think that 
you know, uh, you believe some people who tell you some of the most horrifically twisted stuff I've ever seen. That's why the NFL's in trouble. And that's why Mr. Goodall has come out and said, that stuff's got to stop, because he's quite right. All right, now. Okay, uh, let's see. <laughs> well, this story tells, uh, tells you a lot about why the NDP will never get anywhere. And I'm going to try to say his name. Uh, the, the article is written by Tarek Fatah. Uh, Jagmeet Singh. Singh. You don't pronounce, you, I'm trying to pronounce the H and I shouldn't. Jagmeet Singh, Singh, who is the new leader of the NDP, has about a snowball's chance of, um, in a blast furnace, of ever becoming prime minister. And it has nothing to do with his ethnicity. Okay, if, if there's a country on earth where, where somebody like him could become the leader of the country, you're standing in it. Canada is, without question, one of the most diverse and accepting of different cultures of religion and, and uh, cultures in, in the world. I, I don't think there's any doubt of that. And I think that uh, what you've got now is this guy whose claim to fame rests on three points. He will not denounce the, le the, the mastermind of the Air India bombing, the worst terrorist attack on Canadian soil in its history. Okay, did not, uh, was uh, Terry Molesky for CBC did an interview with him, and I watched the interview. And three or four times, three or four different ways, Mr. Molesky tried to get Jagmeet to denounce the terrorist who blew that plane out of the sky and killed 185 Canadians. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. He danced around it like a moth around a flame. Just wouldn't do it. So that's number one. Number two... He says he's going to impose a tax on Netflix. And number three is he's got better hair than Trudeau. Really? Those are his claims to fame. So as as Tarek Fada puts it, the new NDP is all about pizzazz and style, not substance, where religious or ortho, religious orthodoxy and militancy are viewed as progressive and revolutionary. Uh, let's see. How did someone with no name recognition outside of Brampton defeat sitting caucus members, you ask? Wrote my friend Liberal Party backroom operative Omar Khan in the Sunday in the Sun Tuesday. He suggested Singh won be, partly because of the era of old school brokerage politics dominated by party insiders is coming to an end. I disagree. I'd argue a major reason why Singh won is that his NDP opponents in the media dared not ask him tough questions about Sikh nationalism and his reluctance to denounce the era India bombers. But sooner or later it had to happen. On Singh's first day at work, and here he's, he goes over the interview I just talked about. Uh, I'm going to read you just the trans, just a little bit of the transcript of that interview to give you a sense of how hard Molesky tried to pin down Jagmeet Singh. Okay, so Molesky says, Do you think that some of the Canadian Sikhs go too far when they honor Talwinder Singh Parmar as a martyr of the Sikh nation when he was the architect of the Air India bombing? Do you think that's appropriate? Singh said, well, I think it's important we really clarify a misconception that exists. There's been a lot of work to, to be creating a conflict that between Hindus and Sikhs. For, for me, it's something that really offended me. Molesky, forgive me, but you could do that right now by saying, no, it isn't appropriate to put up posters of Canada's worst ever mass murderer as a martyr. Don't you think that's appropriate? Singh responds, 
let me just clarify a point clarify a point here it's so important that we rid this notion that there has ever been a conflict between hindus and sikhs molesky interrupts for the third time i'm asking it's not a hard question it's appropriate let me finish my sentence says singh molesky what about putting up posters of parmar the architect of the air india bombing as a martyr is that appropriate yes or no Singh responds, It is so unacceptable that the violence that was committed, I regularly denounce it on the anniversary. There is no question about this, that innocent lives were killed, and it is completely unacceptable and needs to be denounced as a terror terrorist act. Molesky says, So you won't denounce those posters of Parmar? Singh says, I don't know who was responsible, but I think we need to find out who is truly responsible. We need to make sure that the investigation actually results in a conviction of someone who is actually responsible. Okay, so no matter how hard Molesky tried, no matter how many ways he rephrased the question, Jagmeet would not answer. He was simply not, interest, not interested in being pinned down. He did not want to give an answer, and that became clear really, really quickly. And it's unfortunate because all he had to, all he had to do was say, yes, it's, a, it's inappropriate, and to, to paint this guy as a martyr. And that would have been the end of the issue. But this is where politicians get into trouble. You know, they, they think they have to protect their base. They forget that if, if you're trying to uh, win new adherence to what you believe in, the very first thing you need to be is honest. The very first thing you need to be is forthcoming. That's what good leadership's about. So that's another reason. Those are three reasons why the NDP are never going to get beyond third-party status. Because when I hear that, all I hear is a politician wiggling like a worm on a hook, trying to avoid being dipped in the water where he knows there's a fish. Okay, that's a pretty, pretty, pretty sad analogy, but the, the, you can't do that. People get sick of that kind of double talk. And this is part of what uh, Rob Snow was talking about, about how people feel abandoned by the elite. Remember something, especially here in conservative circles, your party, you didn't leave the party, they left you. That's what's happening. And you know what? If you're an ND, Ed Broadbent NDP, you probably feel the same way. So just thought I'd float that past you, see what you thought. All right, let's see. What else do we have on the list here? Uh, boom, boom. Uh, oh, yeah. Speaking of politicians, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to um, expand this out a little bit. First of all, I have made it pretty clear over the last six months what I think of uh, Patrick Brown. Patrick Brown is a liberal in a blue tie. He believes the same thing that the liberals believe in. He, he won't reverse any of their really troublesome policies. He has not promised to do anything about the cost of hydro. He supports a carbon tax. He won't do anything about the sex ed curriculum. Uh, there's nothing about him that differentiates him from the current leadership. And he is also disenfranchised about 30% of his base by saying SOCONs, landowners, that whole group, there's about 30% of his base that makes up that group. Um, he's just sorry he ever got involved with them. But you know, when he was looking for votes and support before he was leader, he wasn't sorry at all. He came and spoke to a little group here called Canadians for Language Fairness. I was there that night. And he told them whatever they wanted to hear. He, he told them. The landowners told him the same thing. And the landowners supported him. 
and they get stabbed in their back, get stabbed in the back for their trouble. So there's no doubt about it. Patrick Brown is starting 30 points behind because those groups have basically flipped him the bird and they have no interest in, in Patrick Brown. And it's not just them. There's more than that. But in the story out of the Toronto Star, uh, the headline is this. Meet the Harper veterans who could help Patrick Brown become the next premier. And down here, if I can find the right spot. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm trying to find uh, where he says he's not interested in their political outlooks. Uh, and I had it. Uh, anyway, he in the article, he talks about how he doesn't care about a person's um, political um, stripe. He just cares that they're the best pe person for the job. And I would agree with him for the most part. Um, except this. You're in the world of politics. Your political stripe, if, if it doesn't mean anything anywhere else, it certainly means something now. And it's just enough to make me crazy. So I want to add, here's the whole reason why I brought that up. I want to ask you if you think that Patrick, uh, Andrew Scheer is going down the same road. Remember something. Brad Trost, surprisingly, and I will admit, I was as surprised as anybody, came in third? Is it third or fourth? I can't remember. Everybody expected him to bow, to be bounced on the first ballot, but he kept going, and he kept going, and he kept going, and he beat Aaron O'Toole, and he beat um, uh, a couple of other, you know, all the other uh, in the race, the one also rans, and did an amazing job. And everybody expected that he would be rewarded for supporting Andrew Shear's bid for leader, and basically, when Andrew uh, Andrew Shear assigned seating assignments for the new latest version of Parliament, usually his most respected MPs get the best seats, the ones he turns to, the ones he listens to, and the further from influence you are with the uh, leader, the further away you sit. So Brad Trust, for all intents and purposes, got put out in the hallway. Rather, he got seated way down the end, and you know you never hear from him which a lot of people took as a slap in the face on top of that he's now beginning to to make these progressive moves the same kinds of things that patrick brown's done and i can't help but feel incredibly disappointed at that so i'm curious what you think of that is andrew Shear beginning to look like patrick brown because i'm telling you fourth thank you don i knew he's third or fourth um it's so disappointing, but that's why so many people are looking for someplace else to park their vote. And I should have some news on that next week. I'm looking forward to that, uh, but I can't share anything with you with it uh, with you about it at the moment. But believe me, it'll be sooner rather than later. And I've been waiting a long time to get into it, so um, that'll be probably next week's show. I I hope, and I I shouldn't even say that much because if something happens, oh uh, well. Nothing ever happens that goes wrong around here, right? Okay, so what else we got? Uh, we're over time for a commercial, so I'll play a couple of those, and then we'll come back with more right after this.
EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete forms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. All right. Let's dive right back in. i got to stop that. There we go. Okay, new topic. If you've been listening to me for any length of time, you will know that one of my pet passions is, as, as silly as it sounds, garbage. Uh, and not just political garbage, although garbage is amazingly political. It blows my mind how political it is. Try to get anything done in the area of garbage in this province, and you will know exactly what I mean. I have a friend of mine who has uh, an, been an engineer for over 50 years, a gentleman by the name of Jeff, uh, who has been working in the field of uh, energy from waste uh, and cyrogenics and things. I think cyrogenics, study of freezing water, or the study of freezing. Uh, He's got a lot of credentials behind him. He was the guy who designed the snowmaking machines for the Calgary Winter Olympics in 88. So this guy is not just, you know, he's more than just a guy who wears an iron ring. He actually knows what he's talking about. And he put up a system that would consume pretty much everything short of radioactive waste and uh, do it safely with uh, virtually absolutely no uh, environmental impact. And we tried for, oh, I worked with him and a couple of other people on that for at least a decade, trying to get the province to allow a test plant to be put up to demonstrate this and got absolutely nowhere. So when I tell you this, this is why this drives me crazy. Because I know what the answer is. And it isn't Rob Bryden and it isn't Plasco. Toronto's Ontario Environmental Commissioner says the province's zero-waste strategy looks good on paper, but itself won't be enough to completely eliminate garbage. Okay, first of all, that opening paragraph tells you something's wrong. We cannot eliminate garbage. The statistic, the most recent statistic that I've seen, says that the average person in Ontario and in Canada produces three pounds of garbage a day. Okay? Three pounds. So the city of Ottawa makes, I think it's about 1,500 tons. 1,500 tons a week? Forget whether it's a day or a week. I'm going to say a week, and I'm pro- it's probably a day, but that's a, lot, that's a lot of garbage. But just take the population and multiply it by three, and there you go. There's roughly what you make a day. Uh, because that's 
you know, the standard that they use to measure this stuff by. So when you listen to that first paragraph, and I'll share it with you again, Ontario's energy regulator has ordered, uh, no, wrong story, <laughs> got to grab the right one, here we are. Ontario's environmental commissioner says the province's zero waste strategy looks good on paper, but itself won't be enough to completely eliminate garbage. <sighs> this is why I go crazy, because you don't, you can't eliminate garbage, but you can actually use it. I have a water bottle sitting right here, okay? And in this water bottle, you know, besides the water, the bottle itself is nothing more than hardened gasoline, okay? It's a fossil fuel. They just turned it into, instead of gasoline, they turned it into plastic. So it contains a tremendous amount of energy, all right? And I've said this a million times, but the reason why we use fossil fuels in the first place to do things like propel our vehicles down the highway is because they give you the most amount of energy in the smallest package short of splitting the atom. All right? That's why we use it. And so this little, little container right here that I'm holding up contains fossil fuel energy. It's like having an ounce of gasoline. Okay? And you, when you burn that in a high-efficiency incinerator, you release the energy that, went, that, that it contains, you boil water with it, you turn a turbine, and you create electricity for about one or two cents a kilowatt. So why don't we do that with all of them? Why don't we put an end to the recycling programs that all of us, we have as a rainbow of boxes at the end of our driveway, Okay. You got the green box, the blue box, the, the black box, the yellow box. I mean, it's, it's just nuts. Just throw it all in one bag. It all, Most of it ends up in the same place anyway. Have one truck come and pick it up instead of four or at least two. Cart it off to the incinerator. Boom, gone. Now, I know Lowell's been talking about this kind of stuff for years. Out In, in Vienna, it's a, it's a um, their incinerator is a tourist attraction. And why not? I mean, you know, if you really want to reduce, reuse, and recycle, then isn't that the best way to do it? Because we are not running out of plastic. Okay? We're not. We're going to continue to make plastic for a very, very long time. Can you imagine what our life would be like if we didn't have plastic? Just think about that for a moment. Anyway, so when I hear this kind of stuff, it, it just drives me enough. I, I, I want to pull my hair out. All right, so let me read a little bit more of this. Diane Sachs says the long-term strategy sets Ontario on the right path but is lacking any actual dates for its targets. Surprise, surprise, all sizzle, no steak. Ontario generates nearly 12 million tons of waste a year, more than 850 kilos, so that's about um, uh, about a ton. That's about uh, right around 2,000 pounds uh, per person a year. And uh, that only and only recycles about a quarter of that amount. That's because a lot of what we produce can't be recycled in the first place. That rate hasn't changed for more than a decade because we've maxed out. Even if you believe in recycling, there's only so much stuff you can recycle. <sighs> anyway. Uh, the, that rate hasn't changed more than a decade. But the Liberal government has introduced a waste-free strategy that aims to divert 100% of waste away from landfills by creating a circular economy. More nonsensical buzzwords that mean absolutely nothing. 
a circular economy. What the devil is, are they going to put roundabouts all over the place? Where waste is considered a resource that can be recovered, reused, and reintegrated. That's what I was just talking about. Sack says first step, first, the first step should be to get all food waste out of landfills. This has been driving me mad since I first heard it. Look, if you peel an orange or a banana or core an apple or throw the, you know, uh, you, you cut up a cabbage and there's a few leaves left over, you take a um, head of lettuce and there's the butt. If you take that to a landfill, scrape it off, put it in the ground, I dare you to go back eight weeks from now, mark the spot with a little flag, take your spade and dig it up, and tell me if you can find that. It's that stuff that should go into the landfill. That's what drives me crazy. They've got it backwards. All right. Sack says the first step should be to get all food waste to landfills and a crackdown on businesses and institutions who only recycle 15% of their waste. That's because there is no market for recyclables. What are you going to do with what we call ICNI, which is just the industrial waste? Okay. They don't take them. They, they can't do anything with them. She says it's also important to make sure products are, are high value because it's still generally cheaper to buy new ones, use them briefly, and throw them away rather than using resources over and over. I have no idea what she's talking about there, but this is the kind of baffle gab and gobbledygook you get fed. And it's what makes people go, you know what? I just people are sheeple in a lot of ways, and I think yes, and it is a great idea. If you're talking about the energy from waste idea, it's an excellent idea. We should have done it. You know where? Let me tell you a little bit of history, and since you since you made that point, you know who killed recycling research? Not recycling incineration research in this province, because when I when I I have actually done presentations on this, and when I ask the audience what they think of recycling a lot of them think dirty smokestacks 1970s you know you just the smell is horrible or seagulls and rats you know that kind of thing they're thinking back in 40 50 years ago that's not what we're, what incineration is the person who killed it in ontario was bob ray the ndp put an end to the research how do i know this because my buddy jeff was doing research at the time he actually had one of these plants up and running at the London Hospital. He still has all the test results. He had one in down in Fort Lauderdale, too, at, at a at a um, veterans hospital for, I think it was for Marines or something like that. I think it was in Fort Lauderdale. So he had two test 25-ton-a-day units. They're just demonstrator models. The bigger ones are like 75 to 150 tons a day. And then you just set, you know, you set up as many as you want until you reach the right limit. And they're doing these overseas now. There's, uh, they're putting up one in Ghana. There's another one going in, in, in the Middle East somewhere. I forget where now. I was talking to Jeff about this a few days ago. But other countries are open to this idea. Imagine down in the Caribbean where there simply is no land to use for landfills. All the, all the cruise ships pull in there. They're loaded with tons of garbage. What do they do? They put it on rafts, tow it out into the ocean, and dump it because they have no land to put it on. Wouldn't it make sense to put in a high-efficiency incinerator and deal with it right there? Couldn't you put a smaller version on a cruise ship so they don't have any garbage to dump when they get there and use it to produce power for the ship? Just different ideas. But this kind of stuff, man, I'm telling you, it's enough to make you just want to spit nails. Because these people, it's all part of an agenda 
to just make life as complicated and miserable as humanly possible. And believe me, they do an amazing job of it. All right, when we get back from this break, we're going to talk about Hydro One. Oh, yes, because they've been slapped on the wrist. I know you're going to want to hear about that right after this. EMM Group is the authorized Integrispec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integrispec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integrispec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. For 17 years, I've been taking my cars to Irwin's Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches. But fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them Council sent you. That'll make them smile. All right. Since you guys can't hear the music anyway, I'm not going to bother. <laughs> I'm not going to bother with the bumper music. Let me just dive right back in here. Okay. Where did that story go? Revenue Canada. Yeah, we know all about that. Uh, doom. I have another story pulled up. Where did it go? Hydro One. That was it. Leave me alone long enough. I'll figure it out. Okay, now, we all know the Hydro, Hydro One uh, is the scapegoat. Now, Hydro One is just an a crown corporation, an arm of the government. And we get mad at Hydro One, but at the same time, they're not. I don't place all the burden on, on them. They're given a mandate by the government on how to conduct their affairs. And the government, through them, imposes, because let's face it, when you have a when you have a um, captive audience who can't go anywhere else, the the industry is not deregulated here like it is in Alberta. Did you realize that there are all kinds, dozens, of private energy companies in Alberta, and that is what kept their has kept their energy prices, let's call it reasonable, low compared to ours. In Ontario, we pay more than anybody else in North America for hydro. I'm not telling you anything you already don't know. Okay, but the Ontario Energy Board has decided it's going to tell uh, the hydro company the following. Ontario's energy regulator has ordered Hydro One to cut 30 million over two years from its administrative budget, saying ratepayers shouldn't foot the bill for higher for higher pay for senior staff. In a recent ruling, the Ontario Energy Board rejected a Hydro One request to increase the administrative costs and spend more on capital projects. I almost said capital punishment. You know what? That's not all that far from re that's not all that far from the truth. The OEB decision comes as part of a new a review of a 2016 rate hike request from Hydro One, which, if approved, would see rates jump by 0.5% in 2017 and 4.8% in 2018. Hydro One says it will review and respond to the OEB's orders, and rates will be set later this fall by the regulator. The OEB also rejected a proposal to give all the tax savings generated by the 2015 initial public offering to the partially privatized company to its shareholders. The regulator instead mandated shareholders receive 71% of savings while ratepayers receive the remaining 29%. I think they've got those figures backwards. 
I think the rate payers should get the 71%, and the stockholders should get the 20, uh, 29 my opinion, of course. But here's what I, here's what I think is really going on here. Look, the, on, the Ontario Energy Board, to the best of my knowledge, is government-appointed. I could be wrong, but let's face it. These people, um, they're supposed to be there for the best interest of the ta of the taxpayer, of the rate payer. Now, I suppose you could call it a tax if you want. Um, but the bottom line is they haven't exactly been holding prices down, have they? The only way we've gotten any kind of decrease is by a heinous borrowing program put forward by Kathleen Wynne where she borrowed billions and billions to bring our rates down 25% for the next year. And guess what happens just before that expires? You got it. It's an election. So she's borrowed money on the backs of our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren that we do not have and they will have to come up with because that's what deficit borrowing is. You're just spending taxes you haven't collected yet. And she's taken it for her own political purposes to try to get reelected. Now, if you've noticed, the liberals, maybe not so much Kathleen Wynne, but the liberals have been creeping up in the polls. And Patrick Brown isn't necessarily guaranteed to win. It should be a shoe-in with anybody who's competent they should blow her out of the water with no trouble at all. The problem is, and they blame all kinds of reasons, but I don't think they're identifying the right one. And that goes back to there's no difference between the two, so why should they vote for change? There isn't going to be any. I think most people have that part figured out just by looking at the policies of the two parties. So they really don't have anybody to choose from, not from the mainstream parties at least. So when you look at this, this is nothing but a crass attempt to bribe you with your own money and the money of your children, your grandchildren and great-grandchildren because this is going to take generations if we ever pay this off. The latest number that I saw was like 22,000 and I think that's older. I, it's probably higher than that now. The uh, $22,000 per person is what the provincial debt is. So you and I would have to sit down to pay the debt off. Every person, every man, woman and child in Ontario would have to write a check to the government for at least $22,000. There's 11 million of us. So, is it any surprise then? You see, I think part of the reason why Kathleen Wynne is staying, wants to stay on the throne is because she's afraid of what's going to happen the day after she leaves. And they crack open that cesspool and start to poke around in there. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot that she's been hiding. And you don't have to, it doesn't take much imagination. And these are only, those are only the things we know about. Everything from e-health, all these different scandals over the last 10 years that, you know, people like me don't forget about. Um, gas plants being closed before, they're, when they're about 75% complete just because to save a couple liberal seats, you've got the orange uh, air, uh, air ambulance scandal. You've got um, uh, Lotterio, the uh, Lotto scandal. You've got it just goes the voters, the, the uh, bribery scandal going on up up in northern Ontario right now, where she is a witness and testifying, or at least has testified. Uh, just one thing after another with these with these people. You know the insidious bills like the uh, 
uh, if you don't teach your children that uh, transgenderism is normal and okay and that we have to help you down that path if when you're five and six you feel like you want to be a little girl one morning and you're born a little boy then we can take your children away from you that's a law in this province if you didn't know that so what your personal or religious views are about how you're going to raise your family don't mean squat to this government as a matter of fact there is something else i want to get to give me a second uh i'm going to dig this one up because boy i'm telling you this set my head on fire um i just gonna have to there was a letter written by a woman uh called tanya tanya i forget her last name and she is i've got it i just gotta scroll down a little bit give me a second to find it oh, is that it uh, a little further. Oh, yeah, the vol super volcano under Yellowstone. If I thought there's anything to talk about there. Roger Goodall, testimony. Dun, 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 where did you go? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you know, it's funny how people get... I posted a, a kind of an onion story about uh, the Elon Musk. If you don't recognize the name, he's the guy behind Tesla Motors. And uh, I posted a story about him. It was a joke about him inventing the gasoline-powered car and how that's going to be the next great thing in cars and you would not believe the number of people that thought it was being serious just sometimes guys you gotta you gotta you gotta step back a second and realize that what i was talking about wasn't serious all right yeah i know oh let me let me ask you this i'm just scrolling through my my page here looking for that story but somebody posted and i i must admit i got quite a kick out of this a book called great canadian speeches words that shaped a nation and it's got Justin Trudeau on it. The price on the book is $15. Except there's a great big toonie-sized sticker on it that says $2. And you should see the fun people had with that about what that book should be used for. So let me ask you this. Would it be, if you got that, maybe somebody playing a joke or maybe somebody didn't know your political leanings and gave you that book for a birthday or for Christmas or something like that, somehow you ended up as a, would you consider it tacky or rude or or just not right to re-gift that to somebody else i don't know what would you use it for man i tell you what if you bought enough of them you could eat home with them if you got a fireplace it sure would come in handy <laughs> oh man i don't see that story i'm gonna quit looking for it here in a minute the bottom line of the story was that the now, where the heck did it go? Maybe it's in comments. Uh, da, 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 Tommy Z, no. <sighs> All right, well, I can't even remember the, the content of the story at the moment. What was she writing about? Oh, I know what it was. You, um, I remember now. The whole letter was about how kids, and I was talking about the whole thing about slavery and how this whole volunteer you know how kids have to volunteer 40 hours to get their diploma as if they have a choice see volunteerism to me is something you volunteer for you willingly say yes i will do this for no compensation that is volunteering it's not being voluntold like we used to get in the military okay like you got voluntold to do stuff i need three volunteers you you and you okay and you go oh god what am i in for now go put the funnel covers on or something you know uh, you're going to be short party or you're going to do this or you're going to do that. And uh, it was most of the time it wasn't any fun. Sometimes it turned out to be 
Uh, you're glad you got voluntold, but most of the time it wasn't very very much fun. So volunteering is something you do willingly at no benefit to you. Okay, no financial re, uh, no financial gain. But, ah, God, it's got to go back 10, 15 years. I forget now when they instituted this idea, but it was, it was a dumb idea then. It's a dumb idea now. They wanted to introduce kids into volunteering, uh, so they forced them to volunteer. Well, Look, some people would go along with that. They'd just say, well, I guess that's just the way it is. I'm not like that. I have what's called opposition reflex. And if you've ever been around horses, okay, horses have it too. And they can be very contrary animals. Now, if you push on a horse with your hand, lean into its hip, it will lean back against you. Guess who's going to win that fight? The horses. You will be the one stepping backwards. Because a 1,200-pound animal leaning his hip into you with about eight or 900 pounds of his total weight pushing against you, even if you're 250 pounds, okay, when you've got your hand up against his side or against his hip trying to get him to move over, he ain't going to move. You are. Okay, that's called opposition reflex. Now, you can get to, in, with training the horse, you can get them to move over just by lightly touching the hair on their on their, on their on the part of the body you want to move, the shoulder, the hip, the ribs, whatever it is. But in human beings, opposition reflex is a little more complicated than that. Like, if you tell me to do something, depending on what it is, my especially if it comes from the government, my first reaction is, I don't think so. I am not doing that. Forget it. Not happening. And I don't do it. I will not, as an example, I will not fill out the long-form census. I don't think there's anything in there they need to know beyond how many voters are in that house and what their ages are and what their genders are. That's it. The census is supposed to be about counting noses, not keeping statistics for StatsCam. The government already knows way too much about me. I'm not adding to that pile. Now, I can hear a lot of people saying, yeah, well, that's how they design programs and that's how they do this. I don't necessarily want those programs. I would bow out of them given a chance. Like if somebody came to you and said, look, you can have OHIP or we will refund you your money that you're paying taxes and you can use that money. Let's say it was $900 a year out of your taxes to go support OHIP. So we're going to give you that $900 and you can go buy whatever health care you want, you know, um, from a health care provider, an insurance company, health insurance company, and find your own policy to take care of yourself. So you'll be a, you won't be as much of a burden. You won't be a burden on the public system. We'll still have a public system, but you can bow out of it. In other words, if you want, I'd be all over that because I have a choice. But when you tell me to do something, that's when I dig my heels in. When the state thinks they're smarter than I am, and I'm not the brightest guy in the world, okay? But I'm bright enough to know the difference between a rainstorm and somebody peeing on my boots telling me it's raining. I got a problem with that. So I just. It's the kind of stuff. <laughs> Excuse me, Anne, you just made my night. She was talking about. Uh, she was talking about what to do with this book. Okay, the one about great Canadian speeches. Well, it's all about Trudeau speeches, which are nothing but fluff and pap and have no substance. She said, I would laugh and put it on the outside toilet like we did as kids with the Eaton's catalog as toilet paper. Hope the book is not shiny, hard to wipe. 
And you made my night. Ah, <laughs> <coughs> oh, brother. This is what I love about you guys. You always keep me laughing. Keep me young, they say. I'm really 84, but thanks to you guys, I only look like I'm 55. Anyway, uh, so that was just... <laughs> Stop it, Ann! <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, I think I have time to take one more commercial break. When we get back, we'll have the final segment right after this. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600. All right, last few minutes of the show, folks, here. we got about mm, two or three left. I just want to tell you that I will be considering the idea of doing a, um, uh, a, sh a shorter show, but more often. Uh, over the next week or so, I'll give it some thought. I don't know if I'll do it next week, but uh, it's something that I'm going to be giving some thought to, simply because, number one, uh, I like the interaction, uh, it'll allow, um, I think it'll allow people to feel more comfortable with, uh, you know, it, it doesn't take up a two hour block of your night. And if I started at eight and I'm done, if I started by nine and I'm done by 10, then more people can participate because once you get past 10 o'clock, it's getting late. And I understand that. And now of course there's always the podcast. So don't forget that over at late night council, uh, at latecouncil.com, these shows are available, uh, as podcasts so please if you if you want uh, if you miss some of it you can always go back and catch it there and uh, I'll try to be a um, you know maybe not as many stories but go into them in a little more depth or things like that and I'm gonna work harder on, on bringing in some guests I'm gonna try and get back the guest I had last week uh, the gentleman who did killing Europe that story about uh, he was a, a, a man who was a Danish expat living in the States He's, he was away from the country about 12 years. When he went back, was in for a, a heck of a shock. And we were just getting into things uh, with him when last week's show just fell apart at the seams. So I'm going to try and get him back. And there's a couple other people I have in mind to bring on for interviews as well. And I can't wait for that kind of thing because that's what I, that's what I enjoy about this. And I hope you enjoy it too. I try to bring maybe the same stories but from a different perspective like everybody's been talking about everything from the las vegas and shoot the shootings to these pop-up drug sites to you, you name it there's all kinds of things out there but i like to bring a little bit more of a um a blue collar feel to this because i'm just an average guy like you are um so that'll be kind of the way that i craft the show in the future and we'll see what happens 
and we do have some long-range plans that I'm working on to make the show uh, a little better. It sound a little bit more like a terrestrial radio station, and draw. We'll have some more resources because one of the biggest battles I fight here is I don't have the resources. I don't have the uh, the video and audio backup that I used to have. I don't have the call screener as an example. You know, it's um, I'm limited to what I have available. And while it's certainly acceptable for what we're doing now to grow the show the way that I want to grow it, um, it's going to take some more resources. So we're working on that as well. All right, with that said, it's time for me to bow out tonight. I have really enjoyed all of it, and I certainly hope that you did too. Uh, I hope you'll join me again next week because it will be Wednesday next week, and if we're going to make any changes, I'll let you know then. But I'm also hoping, hoping to have... Um, something really exciting to tell you about in the world of politics next week and uh, I'll give you little hints over the week like if I if I find out that's coming up I'll make an announcement on Facebook first so keep an eye on my Facebook page and uh, once I know you'll know with that said good evening God bless don't let anything disturb your peace and may you have a fair wind and a following sea Of all the money that e'er I had, I spent it in good company. And all the harm I've ever done, alas, it was to none but me. And all I've done. For want of wit To memory now I can't recall So fill to me the parting glass Good night and joy be to So fill to me the parting glass And drink a health whate'er befalls Then gently rise and softly call Good night and joy be to you all Of all the comrades that it I have they're sorry for my going away And all the sweethearts that e'er I had They'd wish me well